Well, good morning. Hey, that was pretty responsive. That's not too bad. So we'll try that again. Good morning. Man, I could take you guys on the road. That works so well. It is good to be with you again. Uh, for those of you who I am new to, I am the executive director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms is a Christian lobbying organization that works predominantly with the state legislature. And so every week, whenever the legislature is there, and uh, this year they've been there an awful lot, um, when they're there, not getting much done, but they're there an awful lot, whenever they are there, uh, we are there lobbying for traditional Christian values. And so as we often say, we come from the pro-life, pro-family perspective. And so there are a lot of issues that fall underneath that uh, umbrella, and we'll talk about some of those today. But that's only one leg of our ministry or one leg of what we do. We are also involved in an educational ministry. We have an affiliated organization uh, that I'm the president of known as New Yorkers Family Research Foundation. And New Yorkers Family Research Foundation uh, produces things uh, like this little newspaper that I have on my display table. And so I saw one of these in the back of the church already today, so I'm glad those are out and available for you. If you are not receiving the Freedoms Alert, I would encourage you to sign up to receive that. Uh, you can do that very simply. You can either uh, fill out an envelope in the back of the church at my display table and hand it to me or mail it in. I prefer it's handed to me because I know what happens when it gets home, right? We forget about it. We put it aside. We don't fill it out. So if you can fill it out, that'd be great. Or if you're not a person that can write very well, but you're prone to doing things on the internet, um, you can also sign up on our website. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, either at albanyupdate.com, albanyupdate.com, or at nyfrf, as in New Yorkers Family Research Foundation.org. And I would encourage you to uh, sign up for that publication. You know, we cover the news there that you're not going to see in a lot of other places. There was a bill that I will uh, tell you a little bit more about during my message today uh, that we refer to as the bathroom bill. And this is a bill that would have allowed uh, men that self-identify as women. Well, what does self-identify mean? It means that a man says he feels like or thinks or wants to dress or simply says he's a woman. He would have access to women's restrooms, locker rooms, and shower facilities. I see heads nodding, like, we're obviously not on board with this. This is a problem for you in some way. Um, this may be a problem for you, but it was not a problem for your state legislature. In fact, it passed overwhelmingly in the New York State Assembly, and as I will tell a little of the backstory today, it was blocked by only one vote in the last committee before it came to the floor of the New York State Senate. Isn't that shocking? You didn't hear that reported in the mainstream media, did you? You probably didn't see it in the local papers. Uh, probably the Albany Times Union touted what a great bill it was, but other than that, um, we probably didn't see it in lots of other places. Um, but you did read about it in the Freedoms Alert. And so if you want to be informed, if you want to know what is going on and what kind of an impact it will have on your church, your family, uh, those kinds of issues, your religious freedoms, then I would encourage you to receive the Freedoms Alert. I would also, uh, just by way of final commercial, uh, tell you that we have a third leg of our ministry that we are, have really just begun to expand. And whereas uh, New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and New Yorkers Family Research Foundation cannot endorse candidates, we cannot legally endorse candidates, we have a third leg of our ministry known as New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms 
Political Action Committee. Uh, there is a website for that now at www.nycfpac.com. That's nycfpac.com. And tomorrow morning, we will be announcing the first seven candidates that we will be endorsing for the November elections. And so I would encourage you to check out that website. Um, we're going to do something that we have not been able to do in the past, is really be able to tell you exactly where we think the candidates stand, uh, exactly what we would do if we were living in your district and how we would uh, be voting for or against certain candidates. Now, we will not endorse in every race uh, because there is a minimum criteria that must be met, and that is the position that the candidate to be endorsed must minimally be pro-life and support marriage between a man and a woman. You may not always have a candidate that supports those basic values in every district, but we will try to tell you our best take on where the races are. So as we head into the final three months of the election cycle, and it's only a little over 90 days away, I believe it is important more now than ever that Christians are informed as to what is going on with these issues. Just imagine if one vote in the Senate Judiciary Committee changes. If one senator loses the seat that stood against this bill last time, that bill could pass next year and there'd be nothing we could do to stop it. And so I really want to encourage you to pay close attention to the election cycle this year. Um, if you're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, any of those things, uh, we also have uh, those social networking opportunities out there. And so I would encourage you to seek out those opportunities as well. You can find those through our website. All right? How's that? Enough of that for this message brought to you by our sponsor. All right? But I think it's important that you're informed. I hope you, you do get educated and find out what's going on so we can make a difference in the culture around us. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you this morning for the privilege it is to be able to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I am thankful for the privilege to stand in this pulpit to be able to declare what God's word says concerning the issues of our day. Lord, I believe that the word of God is just as relevant as the day it was recorded. We live in a culture, we live in a world, there are people around us that tell us that the scripture is not relevant to the day in which we live. Lord, your word is more relevant than this morning's newspaper. Father, we know that it is, it is sufficient to guide us in every area of life. So Lord, there is not a bill that does not come before the legislature that we cannot look to your word for guidance upon. There is not an issue that comes before our families, before our church, before our community, that we cannot say, what does God's word say about this issue? And Lord, I pray this morning that you will challenge us, that we will be like Moses, that we will be one who will stand up for what your word says, that we will do what you have called us to do. And Lord, that we will listen to all of the um, words that you whisper to our heart, that like Moses, we will be reluctant heroes, heroes, reluctant heroes, but heroes nonetheless standing up for what the Word of God says concerning the issues of our day. Father, clear our minds. Uh, purify us from any thoughts that are not of you. Lord, remove all the dross from our heart today that we are focused on what your Word says, that we are ready and willing and able to worship you today. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. And uh, just for sake of time, I'm going to have you kind of stay there, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit this morning, but it would be helpful if you could begin by turning there and just have a kind of a finger in that page as we quickly reference some of the verses this morning. 
You know, when you hear the name Moses, I I wonder, do you think of a strong leader or a frightened follower? What do you think of? Do you think of a strong leader or a frightened follower? Or both, right? Because how Moses starts out is, is, is he's a frightened follower, right? And yet as he surrenders his life to God's call upon it and he walks in obedience, we see a strong leader. Most of us probably remember Moses as the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. We picture him boldly declaring the word of God before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But Moses didn't start out this way, did he? He didn't start out with the same zeal and the same passion and the same intensity that we read about later in his life. Do you remember? It was Moses who fled to Egypt because he was afraid. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this. <coughs> and he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And so because Moses was afraid, he left Egypt. He went out into this wilderness area. And it was out of fear that he was driven to where the Lord eventually spoke to him. He had killed a man, and Moses was afraid when he realized that word had gotten out about his crime. Moses flees to Midian, and it's in Midian where he helps Jethro, or Raul's daughters, get water for their flocks. Remember that wonderful romantic story? I mean, it's just a perfect scene. The first time you look across, ladies, and you meet that dashing young man. He's watering your animals. All right? That's a beautiful scene, right? Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, here's a guy who's willing to move the stone on the well. Okay, times have changed a little bit. He presses the, bot- the button on the water fountain, all right? I don't know. But here's the scene, and here's where they first meet. Moses, is, this is the scene that is set. He eventually marries one of Jethro's daughters, and he assumes the life of a shepherd. He leaves the splendor of Egypt behind and he learns how to survive in the wilderness. He is herding stinky old sheep when he was used to the pleasures of pampered palace life. Right? That's a far cry. How many of you have worked with animals before? Or currently, right? Right? There are times that there are some tasks that are involved in working with animals that are not quite as glamorous as palace life, right? Anybody here ever muck out a stall? Yeah, mucked out some stalls in my time, right? Exactly. Not quite as glamorous as being in the pampered palace life, right? In fact, if children are disobedient, boy, there's a great job there. you got to muck out the stall. Boy, they'll shape up in a hurry, right? You know? Uh, Not a glamorous kind of job. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, what is life like for the Israelites? Well, it's hard. They're slaves being ruthlessly forced to do difficult labor. Their hands are calloused. Their backs are bent over. The mortar, it sticks in their hair and in their beards. Their people have been slaves for 400 years. Their parents, their grandparents, and even their great-grandparents have never known anything but slavery. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 says this. 
And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel And God had respect unto them. Isn't it good to know that God knows our sorrows? I mean, just think about that. Those verses there. It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel, boy, their hearts began to shift. They began to cry unto the God of their fathers. And God heard their groaning, the scripture says. He heard their cries. He heard their pain. And God remembered something. He remembered a promise that he had made to their forefathers. Because God always, always, always keeps his word. You know, I work with a lot of people that don't always keep their word. You know, I work with a lot of people who they'll tell you one thing, and the next thing you know, they're doing something different. You know, we hear things like uh, the 90, tolls on the 90. Well, tolls will only be there until the project is paid for. Who remembers when the tolls first came on the 90? You think the project's been paid for yet? The fund keeps getting raided, right? And every time they go in there and they're looking for funds, they go back to that 90 fund and they drag the toll money out to pay something else. Not long ago, one legislator told me he was talking to one of his constituents about the tolls on the 90. And he said, you know, well, we, the legislator said, well, we need these funds. We need to do this. We can't afford to not have it. And his constituents said, but here's my problem, Assemblyman. You told us that tax would go away. He said, just once, I want you to keep your word when you say you're going to do something to do it. I thought, wow. It really impacted that Assemblyman. He views the 90 tolls a whole lot different today because he said, you know, you're right. We said it wasn't going to be there, and we have not kept our word in that. But God will always keep his word. And so God looks upon the cries of his people, and he remembers the covenant that he had with this people. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. God cares for you. Not only does God know our sorrows, but I love the fact that he comes down to meet us where we are and to deliver us from them. Oh, his instruments of deliverance come in many different forms. And he delivers us from sorrows in his perfect time. But this time, at this time in history, which we are reading today, in Exodus chapter 3, God chooses to use a man named Moses to deliver his people from their sorrows. And so I would ask you to take a look at that text as we read that this morning in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was a bit of a reluctant hero. A hero nonetheless, but a reluctant hero. He offers up excuses as to why he cannot go. But for every reason why he cannot, God is going to speak to the need of his heart and tell him why he can. In Exodus chapter 3, we see that Moses has been keeping the flock. 
And as Moses is keeping the flock, he's out there one day with the animals, and he's out there, and, and they're feeding, and they're doing whatever animals do, and he's, he's out there with them, and, and he's just shepherding them. And he looks across, and he sees this bush that's burning. And, you know, that, that's significant in its own right. If you look out, and all of a sudden there's this thing on fire, you go, wow, cool. i got to go check that out, you know? What's going on? But what was even more significant about this bush is that it was not being consumed. It burned and burned and burned, but it wasn't consuming. And I love it when we read the Scripture, and sometimes we, we tend to, to lose how this works and how this operates. I mean, Moses is out there with the animals, and Moses is out there, and he, he sees this bush. And, you know, the Scripture reads it this way. As you look in Exodus chapter 3, um, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And I can just picture that, you know? Moses, I will now turn aside and I will see why this bush is not burnt. You know? Maybe a Charlton Heston kind of thing, you know? And it's, you picture it that way. And do you think that's exactly how it was read in Moses' mind? You, I mean, I know that's what the words say, but what's really going on in his mind, what's really going on in his actions and in the activity of his body? I mean, he looks across and he goes, Oh, look, behold. No. He goes, Oh, man! Look at that thing over there. There's a bush over there. That thing is so cool. What is going on with that thing? It is burning. It's not consumed. Man, i got to go check this out. And so Moses turns aside, and he goes and he looks to see the bush that is not burnt. Right? And that's kind of, put yourself in the scene. Don't read this like it's, like it's just a dry, dusty old book, folks. It's not. It is relevant. Put yourself in the sandals of Moses as he's there on the edge and it's on this day at this time in history and the God of heaven remembers the covenant that he made to his people. And the God of heaven remembers that and he comes down to minister to his people. And as God comes down, he calls out one reluctant hero, one reluctant hero who says, whoa, what is that? And he goes and he checks it out. Moses approaches the bush and the scene gets even funkier than you first think. Because now, all of a sudden, Moses hears this voice. Moses hears this voice. Draw not nigh thither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Now it's bad enough when there is a bush that is not being consumed in your presence. It is quite an entirely thing when inanimate objects begin to speak to you. Okay? If you're in the office one day and your stapler begins to talk to you, you have issues, okay? There are people you can see that can help you with that problem, okay? This is not that kind of a problem. This is the God of heaven who is getting the attention of his servant, Moses. Moses is looking at the bush. It is not being consumed. It draws his attention. And then a voice comes out. And it is the voice of God himself. Remember that Moses was fearful. That is why he was where he is. I personally believe that Moses spent a great deal of his time looking over his shoulder for fear of his past, for fear of what had happened in his past had been known for fear that it would find him out, for fear that they would come looking for him. And Moses has now just dealt with 
the very God of heaven. God is going to speak to the need of his heart and tell him that he has some things for him to do. In verse 6, God identifies himself. He says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Rightfully so, by the way. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. There it is again. I know their sorrows. Look at what God says in verse 8. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land, unto a good land, and large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now hold on a second. Because Moses just heard something different than what he thought he heard. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but God said, I have come down. And in verse 10, what does God say? And I'm sending you. Now Moses, I'm sure he was cool with the part where God says, I have come down. I like that, right? It's a far different thing when Moses hears the words from the God of heaven and say, I have come down, oh, but I'm sending you back to Egypt. Why did Moses leave Egypt? Come on now, work with me, right? Why did Moses leave Egypt? He was fearful, right? Yeah, he was afraid for his life. He thought this was the end of it. Man, he had murdered an Egyptian, and he's in the palace, and even though he's a part of the family, and he's included the royal family, and the news got out, and if this breaks, boy, is he in trouble, and he's afraid, and so he runs. And he left Egypt. And he's not going back there. And he's got a new life and a new wife and all sorts of things in the land where he now lives. And I'm sure he's looking over his shoulder, but that's behind him. We're not going there. And what does God say? I'm sending you back. Wait a second. God, no, wait, God, no, I left there. God, I can't do that. Look at verse 11, an excuse that Moses gives. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses says, God, I'm a nobody. I am a nobody. <coughs> I'm sure that Moses is thinking back very literally to when he left there. He said, look, I'm in a heap of trouble if I go back. I'm a nobody. Who am I, emphasis on I, that I should go back to Egypt? Who am I that should go there? Lord, I'm a nobody. But look at what God says in verse 12. He says, certainly I will be with thee. Moses says, I'm a nobody. God says, well, I got that part, but I'll be with you. You know, think about that. How often do you find yourself in a position where God tells you to go to do something, to say something, to be something? And you say, I can't do that, Lord. Lord, someone else, not me. Lord, I'm a nobody. Please send someone else. Lord, I, this is not of me. And Lord, that's, no, you know my past, Lord. I'm not qualified to talk about that. Or Lord, it's too painful to talk about that. Or Lord, I don't want to dredge that up again. 
God says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. All the fears of your heart, all the shame of your heart, all of the concerns that you may have about what happened back there that you think makes you a nobody today, God says, don't worry about that. I'll be with you. Verse 13, Moses tries a different angle. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? I mean, I don't know what to say. God, you got, you got to mean someone else. I mean, God, look, I don't know what to say. What, what, would I, what could I possibly... In fact, some people think that Moses stuttered, right? We'll get to that. What do I, I don't know what to say. The words won't come out. God, I, I don't have the message. <coughs> Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to say. What am I going to do? I don't have a message. Verse 14. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So God says to Moses, when Moses says, I don't know what to say, God says, I'll tell you. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Lord, I don't know what to say. I'll tell you. And yet, how many times that is where we find ourselves in that position? Lord, I couldn't possibly, Lord, no, not me. I'm a nobody. I'll be with you. Lord, I don't know what to say. I mean, you know, I'm not as smart as, as my Sunday school teacher. I'm not as smart as my pastor, Lord. I'm not as smart as that, that guy that, you know, debated with me in college. Or I'm not as smart as this one or that one. Or, Lord, I don't know what to say. I'll tell you. God says, I'll tell you. We get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we find a third excuse. Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Moses has a third excuse. And this time he says, they won't believe me. They won't believe me. How many of you realize that it is not your responsibility whether or not they believe you? Right? It is not your responsibility. It's not even your business. Your obligation is to simply obey what God says. God says to Moses, let me worry about that. In essence, God does something pretty unique for Moses. When God responds to this cry of Moses' heart where he says, they won't believe me, God tells him to do something. The Lord says, what's in your hand, Moses? Moses says, a rod, it's a stick. It's a walking stick I found on the backside there. It was cheap, you know. He said, cast it on the ground. Moses cast it on the ground. 
and it became a serpent. And I love this. Moses fled from before it. Picture the scene, all right? God's, you know, is talking to Moses. Moses is given every, every excuse in the book he can think of. And he says, I'm a nobody. And God says, I'll be with you. He says, I don't know what to say. God says, I'll tell you. Moses says, they're not going to believe me. God says, wait a second. I got something for that too. What's that thing in your hand? What? This old stick? That old stick. Throw it on the ground. Moses looks and just throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground. All of a sudden, the thing turns into a serpent. A snake. <laughs> Bangs and all. And Moses goes, whoa! Right? And he flies back. And we woke up the back pew too. That's great, you know? And Moses, he sees this thing. See, we read it. <coughs> we see, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground. And Moses fled before it. You know what he did? He went, ah! And he fled out of there. Moses was afraid of snakes, folks. With good reason. If you are ever in Egypt and you come across what you think is a garter snake, do not pick it up, okay? If you are ever in the land of Midian and you come across what you think is an innocent little snake, do not pick it up. I was foolish one time, many times, but in this particular time, I was in my yard in the, in the house where I lived in Naples, the Finger Lakes region of New York. And I was out in my yard and there was this snake just crawling across the grass. And it was the granddaddy of old garter snakes I had ever seen. And I thought, this is the coolest thing. Micah's going to love this. And I remember picking up, and I'm, this thing was aggressive. And I go over, I get my big old trash can, and I'm getting the tra- I'm like, whoa, this thing's so cool. And I'm trying to find sticks to pick up the snake, and it's, it's getting hissy and aggressive, and it's doing this and that. And I thought, how am I going to catch this thing? And so I lay down the trash can on the side. I got a stick over here, and I'm trying to get it in, and it won't go. And so finally I'm able to catch it by the tail, and I pick it up like this. And it is the granddaddy of all garter snakes. I mean, this thing is huge, all right? I don't know. It's big. In fact, it is so big that the guy across the street, he's in those big propane trucks, he's delivering propane, he sees me picking up this thing. For a while, he just sees me in the yard going, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. But then he sees the snake come up, and he goes, whoa. He brings the propane truck around, he parks at the edge of the driveway, says, I had to come see what that thing is that you caught. It's huge. So it wasn't just me, Okay. Well, you know what? We got to looking at this thing. We kept it in the yard for a couple hours. And, and I thought, man, what am I going to do with this thing? And then I thought, you know what? I, I probably ought to just let it go. I mean, what, I mean this thing's lived such a long time. It's huge. It's, it, it's earned the right to be set free, okay? And so I took it across the street. <laughs> I took it across the street into the woods. And I dumped the trash can and I let the thing go and it slithered off. <clears throat> sometime thereafter, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I wonder, um, you know, it just didn't seem to act very much like a garter snake. And all of a sudden, the wheels begin to turn. And I'm like, it's got some interesting little marks on it. And it had this kind of diamond-shaped head. And it had this really aggressive posture that I'm not used to. And, I mean, I thought it was just granddaddy garter snake. And I started looking through the books a little bit. And it turns, lo and behold, that we had a problem with rattlesnakes in Naples that I was unaware of. And it didn't have a rattle, so I didn't think it was a rattlesnake, but 
um, it matched all the markings of rattlesnakes. In fact, not far from us, just down the road, there's, there's this uh, cliff area that I heard was legendary for rattlesnakes in Naples. And not far from my house, they had closed off one of the rest stops along the 86 because the rattlesnakes overtook it. They literally overtook the rest stops. And so when people went in to use the restrooms, they would find rattlesnakes curled underneath the toilets. They closed down this rest stop in the 86 for a season. How cool is that? (laughs) And so here I am. This is the coolest garter snake I've ever seen. Look at that. Moses was afraid of snakes. He was a wiser man than I was. He runs from the stick that has turned into a serpent. In essence, and God gives him some other things as well. I mean, God, I think God has a sense of humor because God then tells Moses, uh, I got another one for you too. Take your hand and stick it in your cloak thing there, your your jacket or whatever he's wearing, your robe, I don't know what they call the thing. And um, Moses does it and God says, now take it out. It's white like snow. It's leprous. That's a death sentence, by the way. When Moses looks out and he sees his hand is now leprous, can you just picture him? His knees are quivering. He's shaking. He's going, God, I'll go. Just make it go back. I'll do whatever you say. Just turn it back. Put your hand back. Moses takes it out. And his hand is back to normal. God's got his attention, doesn't he? I'm a nobody. I'll be with you. I don't know what to say. I'll tell you. They won't believe me. Let me worry about that. Then in verse 10, Moses pulls his trump card. Verse 10, Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since. Thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. That's the part where many people think that Moses actually stuttered. I don't know if he did or not. It's very possible. Some people think he had, um, he just meant that he was not a, an eloquent, you know, he was not a strong speaker. He was not a great public speaker. I don't know what the situation was. But again, Moses says, I'm not qualified. God, I'm a nobody. And, and God replies, I'll be with you. Moses says, I don't know what to say. And God says, I'll tell you. Lord, they will not believe me. Let me worry about that. Lord, I'm not qualified. Lord, send someone else. And the Lord said unto him in verse 11, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Each time Moses spoke to God, he gave an excuse as to why he couldn't do what God had called him to do. And in a way, Moses was right. I got news for you. Moses was a nobody. And so were we. We don't know what to say. Moses didn't either. Very often, They're not going to believe you. Quite honestly, we're not qualified. That's why I'm so glad that God says, 
He will be with us. He'll tell us what to say. Let him worry about the results. And don't forget, he said, I'll be with you. Earlier this year, I mentioned the bathroom bill. Well, earlier in this message, I mentioned the bathroom bill. Earlier this year, the bill was coming up for a vote. And I remember over a year, year and a half ago, when we talked about this bill, and it had come up before in the state senate, we had blocked it in the committee, some of our legislative allies in Albany said there's no way you can stop this bill. It's grease to go, you can't stop it. In fact, this year, the New York State Senate moved the bill from one committee to a more favorable committee, thinking they could pass it there. And again, I remember legislative allies saying to us, you can't stop this bill. They have greased it. They have moved it to a committee where they have the votes to pass it. And you know what? We decided that whether or not they had the votes to pass it, we would be faithful to our calling. We would speak out on this issue and do the best we could to stop it. By God's grace, God gave the victory on that and a host of other issues. You know, there is a um, very familiar saying that I keep a copy of it in my Bible. One is a statement by Plato. And Plato said, the, good, the, good, the price good men pay for indifference is to be ruled by evil men. The price good men pay for indifference is to be ruled by evil men. I don't believe for a moment the answer to what ails us in New York or in America is a political process. It's a spiritual problem that we have to deal with. But I also believe that there is an apathy that is among the American people that I think is beginning to turn. And that's a very good sign. But it was Edmund Burke, a British parliamentarian, who said nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. Nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. God took this little man called Moses, a fearful follower. Guy was afraid of snakes. He was looking over his shoulder. Didn't know, you know, when it was his past was going to catch up with him. Probably ashamed of some of the things he'd done. Slow of speech. Maybe a stutterer. He wasn't much, folks. And God took the little thing of Moses and through the power of God working in his life, as Moses surrendered to God's calling, he was grown into be a strong and a great leader among the people. You know what we need today? Men and women of God who will stop giving the excuses. And whatever it is that God is calling in their lives, whether it be in Albany or in our hometown or at the bank or in our school or in our home, to do exactly what God has commanded us to do. To stop offering up excuses. To be reluctant heroes? Sure. We understand our limitations. But to also remember that we serve a limitless God. Imagine what God could do with a generation of leaders like this. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing your word this morning. Lord, I'm challenged as I look to the life of Moses, and in recent weeks you've been bringing this passage back to my mind again. Um, there were a host of excuses that Moses gave. 
that there is an awesome God that he served that would not listen to the excuses. But God would say, Moses, you're forgetting who I am. Lord, whenever we are fearful, whenever we are afraid, whenever we don't know what to say or where to go or what to do, it is because 